Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 406. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't checked out MAPPED yet, please do, mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. You can go over there right now and sign up for a free two-week trial. No credit card required, unless you want to put one there. You can, but you don't have to. (laughs) I have a great conversation today with Dr. Scott Wright, our MAPPED VP of Academic Advising. This was part of our launch day that we did on uh, August 24th as we launched MAPPED to the public. We did a Instagram Live really talking about common pre-med mistakes. And now Dr. Wright is the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. And he's the former executive director of TMDSAS, the, the whole application service to all of the Texas medical schools he was in charge of. And so he has a very unique perspective on all sides of it. He was also the director of the pre-health advising office at UT Dallas. So he's he's literally been on all sides and in the middle. So he's been on the pre-med side, he's been on the director of admissions side, the medical school side, and he's been in the middle with the application service interfacing with all of the advisors and the medical schools. So he's got a wealth of knowledge that he's going to share with you right now. Well, welcome, Dr. Scott Wright, to your first Instagram Live. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm excited. Everyone oh, is excited. All kinds of hearts. <laughs> Don't get too excited. Look at oh, it's all the hearts. It's so funny. <laughs> I love it. Well, Dr. Wright, um, Instagram Live. A lot of people don't know who you are. So you're former director of admissions at UT Southwestern. Former yes. former executive director of TMDSAS, like the, the yes. whole TMDSAS, like everyone Correct. who didn't get into a Texas medical school, that was your fault. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and 
Um, and, and and you had a stint at UT Dallas as the the. I always forget your formal title there. Yeah, I was associate dean and director of the Health Professions Advising Center. Yeah, so I ran all the all the pre health programs, pre med, uh, dentistry, pharmacy, etc. Yeah. Did it all. You've done it all. You've been on the yes. every say, side. Possible. You've you've been on every side in between, um, every every side of the Oreo cookie, including the cream filling. Yes, <laughs> that's the best part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is the best part. Uh, we do have Rachel in the comments. She is Polaris Results. Rachel is my co-founder at Mapped. If you guys haven't checked out mapped.com yet, uh, it is live. You can go sign up, play with it for two weeks for free. Don't even need a credit card. Go check it out and let us know. What you see right now is just the beginning of the future of Mapped. So uh, we're excited to be working hard every day on it and look forward to really serving you well into the future. Scott, we uh, decided to do a little bit less of a Q&A, although we'll definitely keep an eye on questions and, and see what's coming up. Um, and maybe yeah. Rachel, if you're, if you're listening, maybe you can ping us on some questions as well. I'll keep my, my Slack open um, to, to your questions as well. Um, but let's talk about common pre-med mistakes, right? And, and what you've seen, again, for, from your perspective, being on all sides of it, you have a very unique perspective, uh, right? I, I know a lot of people who have done pre-health advising and moved on to director of admissions or a part of an admissions committee or the other way from the admissions side to the pre-health side. But you have that extra step of being in the middle as well with TMDSAS. So you hear yeah. all of the complaints from yeah. the pre-health advisors. You hear all the complaints from the medical schools about what everyone, everybody's doing everything wrong. Yeah. Let's start with the most common mistake that you have seen day in and day out from all of your roles. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the common mistakes both really in terms of preparation for application and then the application itself is not taking, not being careful, mm. um, is, uh, small, little, small mistakes, misspelled words, uh, bad grammatical mistakes. Um, you know, just rushing, rushing it too quickly. Um, I think that that's a common mistake to, they want to get it done. They want to get it done early. They want to get everything in and, and rushing, we, we, we have had situations where, um, i give you a couple of examples. I had an applicant years ago at UT Southwestern who, throughout his application, he said that he wanted to go, he wanted to be a surgeon, he wanted to go into surgery. Surgery was everything he was all about, everything, and he misspelled the word surgery every <laughs> time. Ouch. Yeah. So this was, you know, a glaring error. He, he needless to say, did not get into our medical school because yeah. this was indicative of a lack of seriousness about the whole endeavor and careful checking and getting someone yeah. else to, you know, proofread it for you. Yeah. But I cannot emphasize how important proofreading is. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you, and that's nothing. You use the keyboard. Yeah. To it, input anything in you proof it. And, and that is a, uh, 
like we're not throwing shade at the student for not knowing how to spell surgery and because God knows like there are lots of words that I misspell all the time. It's, it's, that's not the problem. The problem is that next step of, okay, now I'm going to check everything and, right. and word and Google docs and all of these applications have a check spelling that's button. Right. And that's right. Unless it was some random word that also happens to be a word, it probably would have gotten caught. Yeah, absolutely. The other glaring error that we would get occasionally at TMDSAS was uh, what happens is the application won't let you submit or go uh, further unless you have put something in every place. And so we call that a placeholder. Yep. So, um, so for example, if you go to your, um, personal statement and you put in your, and you, there's no personal statement there, uh, th- there's no, nothing in the box that it, it won't let you submit. Yeah. And so, uh, or really even move, move on into any further steps. And so what happens is, uh, you know, occasionally we would have students who would type in to that box, come back and do this later. <laughs> and we and they submit. Su- submitted yeah. and that was it. And, and uh, they're, they're mortified, of course, when they discover it. Yeah. And that's And you it. don't do anything. Yeah, I, I've no, talked no, no, to no, Enrique no. at TMDSAS about this. He says it happens every year. Yep. And, and I said, don't you give them a second chance? He's like, nope. No. Is that the type of physician that you want who's just yeah. not just going to rush through everything and really not read and click submit? Right. And right. I'm like, I, I guess I mean, I, I can see both sides. Um, but yeah, that's that's a, a rude awakening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least it's only what, 180, 190 bucks. Yeah, 180 bucks. I yeah. think this year they may yeah. have gone up a little bit, but yeah. yeah. So I, I, not, I think you should refund the money and not to let them apply, but at least refund the money. <laughs> be nice. All There's right. got to be some bite to it. Though, yeah, yeah. To learn, learn the lesson. You got to learn from your mistakes. Uh, would you rather have a switch or <laughs> lose a little bit of money? <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. So just being careful, right? Yeah, being, um, being careful. Proofread everything. Um, you know, I, I think those are the, those are the easy things that you can that you can take care of. Yeah. Uh, one of my big pet peeves for applicants is the photographs, mm. the application photographs. Yep. And every year we would get the most bizarre <laughs> photographs. Talk, people, talk about the wall. Talk about the wall. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we, we would ha- we had a, a big wall uh, at, at TMDSS where when they encountered a, a photograph that was funny or that was bizarre or whatever. Inappropriate. inappropriate <laughs> yeah, exactly. We would print it out and stick it on the wall. Mm. And every year we had a, a group of probably a dozen or more uh, pictures of just the most unbelievable things. And and what it indicates to us and then often to admissions committees is a lack of seriousness about what is this really all about. Yeah. Uh, this is part of your application. This is part of what a medical school uses to verify that you are indeed who you say you are. Mm-hmm. When you show up at the interview, they can see your application picture. They can see you uh, in person. And they know, okay, this is the same person. We can verify that, um, that this is uh, the, the identities are equal. So, uh, so, you know, you don't have to go to some professional photographer. I, you know, getting, getting a friend to take your picture with your, with your phone is just fine, but put on a nice shirt or a dress or, you know, whatever and get, 
get behind a nice bush with greenery and, you know, just at least make it look presentable and appropriate for what you're doing. And, uh, and I think that's important to, it, it becomes an issue of professionalism really. And medical schools are really hitting this hard uh, because society is expecting professionalism from their healthcare providers. Yeah. And so medical schools are expecting it from medical students and they expect it in the application process as well. Yeah. So that's a bit of a pet peeve of mine is, you know, just put a nice photograph of yourself uh, in the application. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting for, for mapped. One of the things I've been looking at is, are there any technologies out there where students can upload a, a picture that they're thinking about using into their mapped profile and, and having uh, some third party, right? We're not going to develop an algorithm, but some third party service that, uh, ranks the professionalism of their photo yeah, and, and appropriateness. Yeah. So yeah. something we're looking at for map that's probably yeah. way off into the future though. Um, all right. So, so being professional with their photos, being careful with typos and other things. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about uh, some common mistakes around experiences and, and the whole activity section of the app, whether yeah. it's, it's actually on the application itself or leading up to everything yeah. that they're doing. Yeah. I think that this is a very important point that you bring up and, and that is having reasonable expectations about what you're going to face in clinical experiences. Uh, for most applicants, you don't know anything. You don't know how to do anything. So for you to expect that you're going to walk into a hospital and be able to witness an open heart surgery, <laughs> maybe not a good, good expectation. Yeah. So I think having reasonable expectations about what you're going to be doing and then being able to reflect uh, on what you did do and what it meant to you. Is, is very important. I say it over and over again. It's not the what you did. It's not the what. It's the so what. What difference does it make? Mm. How did it? How did you produce value out of that? Why, why was it meaningful to you? What did you learn about that experience? Um, I often had uh, students who said, I don't want to go volunteer at a hospital because all I do is answer a phone or all I do is file stuff or all I do is, you know, direct people at the information center. And my point is you work your way up. Yeah. You know, you, you show that you're that you, you that you're good at what you do, that you have a good work ethic. You show up when you're supposed to be there. You work hard and then you and then you might be able to do some cooler stuff. Yeah. But even when you're answering the phone, there's somebody else on the other end of that phone. Mm -hmm. Are they frustrated? Are they angry? Are they upset? Are they crying? Why and why are they crying? What What is it that's going on in this patient's life or in this family member's life? that makes it uh, makes them react that way. And yeah. you have to think about these things, and that's where the meaning gets produced. It's not in what you see necessarily. It's when you make out of that yeah. uh, that, that produces meaning, yeah. I, so, I don't know if it's a, a generational thing um, or not, and it's probably not. Um, it's, it's probably just an individual thing, but I, I think a lot of people forget the, the whole theory of stepping stones that one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next. And they yeah, just want yeah. to end up at the very end and go, okay, I made it. Um, whereas every, every step along the way, all of the mistakes, all of the successes are leading to who you are at the end. Yeah, that's uh, right. And it's so and important. I, I use the example of my oldest daughter. She, in high school, she was in this kind of, um, health profession sort of track and, uh, she wanted to, uh, 
And part of that was going to Children's Medical Center in Dallas. We lived in the Dallas area at the time. And so she she would go to Children's Medical Center. And for her first, you know, probably uh, several weeks, if not a month, she was putting together packets of stuff in some back room. And boy, but she was the best packer putter together <laughs> ever. I mean, yeah. she was she was good at it. She was enthusiastic. And and they actually came to her later and said, hey, you're doing such a good job. You're so enthusiastic about what you're doing. Uh, w- we've got this other opportunity. And it was exactly that. It was, it was shadowing a physician in the ER. And she was elated. Nobody else was getting to do this. And But she had shown, just as you're saying, Ryan, she had shown that she w- was committed to this and was working hard, and it led to other things. And so you have to keep that in mind. Things don't just happen, you know, bam. Yeah. So. Suzanne saying, yes, I started as a volunteer answering phone calls at the hospital, and from there got the chance to shadow in the OR. Yep. See, yeah. that's a very good uh, point. Very and good for point. our friends up north and in Canada, where shadowing is much harder, getting those clinical experiences harder. I I had um, uh, a student on. She's a a resident now. Um, Emma, I think is her name. Emma, uh, former D one athlete herself. She uh, that's what she recommended. Volunteer. Get your foot in the door network, show them that you're not going to like knock over the sterile tray of instruments in the OR and, uh, and, and you'll open up doors in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So activities, one of the things that we mention all the time, right, is, is lack of, and uh, lack of clinical experience, lack of shadowing, lack of research. Uh, how many hours do I need here? And, the, the common sentiment always from pre-meds is you just need to check off all of the boxes. How can we, for once and, and always, right, just the final time, this is the last time we're ever going to say it, let students know they're not checking off boxes. They're not trying right. to reach a certain hour count for anything. That's right. That's right. It's It's... It's about the richness of those experiences. I've seen so many students over the years who had somewhat limited experiences, but the richness of how they talked about those experiences was amazing. And it far outweighed other applicants who had many more hours Mm -hmm. of experiences. And it's not just about checking off the box. It's about doing, uh, it's about engaging in what you're doing and really getting something out of it. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and kind of a good follow-up question that somebody asked here, how does putting a non-clinical career on your application, what does that look like? I, I see this mistake a lot, speaking of mistakes, right, is, is students avoiding showing their whole journey even outside of medicine, because yes. they think the application is clinical and medicine only. Yes, and that is absolutely not correct. The, the medical schools are looking for a variety of different personal qualities, what the AAMC calls these core competencies. Mm-hmm. And some of them are, can be expressed in a variety of ways uh, through uh, student organizations, through work experiences, other types of volunteering clubs and you know just a variety of things that a student can do and and i think that things like leadership is a good example of how i think the questioner was uh 
uh, was working in the development office at their university and and just the the, the amount of organization that's required uh, mm-hmm. the the leadership abilities that they develop from those absolutely in fact uh, at TMDSAS and what I would encourage students to do uh, TMDSAS.com uh, there is uh, uh, we had started a magazine called Apply Magazine. And uh, you can find these online. Uh, the the uh, you can l- view them online at the TMDSAS website. Last year, uh, in the last issue, there was a whole article about what difference does it make, and it's about how to translate non-clinical experiences into these core competencies. There you go. That's it right there. <laughs> Just happened to have one on my desk. <laughs> yeah, that's it right there. And There's so, a good article about interviewing in here. I don't know who wrote yeah, that one. Oh, some, some you know, sloppy <laughs> guy. But, uh, you know, I would encourage students to look, look at that and, and look at that article and see that regardless of whether it was clinical or not or medically related, it, it can still be applicable to the qualities that medical schools are looking for in their applicants. So don't discount those things at all. Include them in your application and keep in mind that you're, you're creating a marketing tool and you have to know what you're marketing first before you can market it. And so get very clear in your mind what you want to, what you want medical schools to get out of your application. And then you figure out ways to make that happen in, in the various parts of it. Yeah. That's a good one. A good follow-up question. How far back, right? There's this general rule of thumb with uh, this unwritten rule uh, about applications. And usually it's everything after high school, right, is is what you're supposed to talk about with potentially the rare exception of things that started in high school but then continued through through college or into college. So that's that's the general recommendation. And I've seen some applicants who don't know that and and put stuff on there and it's like, oh, well – it's okay. You didn't. You don't know that. Let's hope. Hope the rest of your application looks good as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think you know, in essays, it's a lot easier to include yes. that kind of stuff yep. than it is in the descriptions of events and and activities and stuff like that, where it becomes much more noticeable. Um, so I think you know, for example, if if something in your uh, in in the in your high school years, for example, was very pivotal, pivotal, pivotal important <laughs> in, in your pre-med process, then that's where you can discuss it in that personal statement mm-hmm. or, or in an optional essay where you can really um, explore that in, in much greater detail and with much more um, emphasis on how that was in, imperative in your growth toward going uh, into the application cycle. So yeah, absolutely. So in, in all your activities and stuff like that, you're not going to want to go back into high school stuff. The one exception with that would be uh, dual credit when you're including courses yep. that you took in high school that you got dual credit for. Yeah. Uh, a common question that comes up, and not really a mistake, but but I'll, I'll talk about it here, is the question about this activity section, which is the, the, I think the official name for, for all of the application services is the activity section. We, as a society, this pre-med society, we call it your extracurriculars. And so students get very confused that this specific question was, I did research that was part of my PhD. That is technically not 
extracurricular that is correct that is part of the curriculum can they should they include that kind of stuff on the application i think the general advice is yes include that it doesn't have to be outside of school correct that's correct absolutely yeah absolutely so some activity stuff. Let's talk about the the fun thing that that I enjoy: mistakes during interviews. Now, oh. again, you've been on both sides from mock interview prep at UT Dallas to uh, actual interviewing and getting all of the feedback from the interviewers as the director of admissions at UT Southwestern. What is the biggest mistake that you think happens day in and day out for pre-med students when they're interviewing for medical school? I think the, the probably, in my view, the biggest mistake they make is that getting themselves so wound up. Mm. They're so crazy nervous. There's such a level of anxiety that they don't perform well. Yeah. And they, they, it, it, it starts days ahead of time and it builds and it builds and it builds and they get to the interview and they're a nervous wreck, you yep. know, and that can be disastrous. Everybody's going to be nervous. There's going to be some level of anxiety. And if there's not, I would probably worry about that if, there, if the student isn't a little anxious. Um, but I think uh, students need to find ways to calm themselves down. Mm. Uh, a lot of medical schools have uh, social mixers and things the night before, which is a good idea to go to those mm. and uh, really be able to meet students and stuff. But it's also a relaxa- relaxation time for you to be able to say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm here. I, I, I made it to the city and the place and I got to my hotel room and, you know, all <laughs> of that stuff. Hopefully in the future when we travel again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I think that nervousness is a, is a real crucial, um, is a real crucial point that students have to battle. And I think examining for yourself, what happens to me? What are my behavioral, uh, things that happen to me when I get nervous? What, what do I do? Yeah. Do Uh, I sweat profusely? Do I? Yeah. Yeah, some students get really cold. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, having layers of clothing, some students get hot and start sweating. So you can take your, you know, jacket off. Uh, Having a breath mint, if you start coughing uh, during the interview, or a bottle of water that you can have there to to take a sip of. Uh, But know what you do. Also, some students, when they get really nervous, they tend to jabber on and on and on. And I've had students where the interviewer basically said, I asked one question and 30 minutes later, they're still answering that. So not only do they jabber on and on, they probably aren't very good at reading body language. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The interviewer checked out a while ago. (laughs) I had the opposite one year uh, when I interviewed a student from a a university. And um, I I asked him, I said, so you go to X X university? And he said, yes. (laughs) And I said, um, do you like it? And he said, yes. Well, Scott, that he, is a yes. Those are yes, no questions. They, they were one word <laughs> answers to everything. And after 10 minutes, I was done. I was like, okay, we're done. We're, we're done here. You, he, this student had either was so nervous he c- couldn't communicate or he had no communication skills whatsoever. Yeah. Either way. Either way is bad. A, yeah. He, he didn't get into our school. So. Yeah. And, and, and I was a smart kid. Yeah. I, I want to let every student who's watching this know interview skills can be learned. You're, you're not yes. a good interviewer or a bad interviewer. You just 
haven't learned how to be a good interviewer yet if you are not one. And so yeah. a couple mock interviews with your pre-health advisor, with a mentor, with a friend, a lot of a lot of these struggles can be overcome with practice. That's all it takes. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have to know all the answers. No. Uh, you know, I think it's it's perfectly good to be able to go into an interview and an interviewer ask something and, and you can say, I haven't thought of that before. Let me, you know, let me think about that. Or to be able to say, I, I don't really know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, another another thing that students often need to, to consider is they need to have some questions ready for their interviewer. Mm-hmm. Often interviewers in a traditional interview setting will say, uh, do you have any questions you want to ask me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you need to have some prepared. And, and some of them can be very basic. Um, so you're a faculty member here. How long have you been at this institution? Why do you stay? Why do you like it here? Yeah. Uh, what What is it about this medical school that you like or enjoy? What do you not like? Where mm-hmm. did you go to medical school? Tell me about your experience in medical school if they're, if they're a physician. Yeah. So have some prepared questions in your mind that you can really uh, it's the, it's not good if the interviewer says, do you have any questions for me? And you, your answer is no. Yeah. Uh, a couple of good questions that came in about interviewing. So the, the first one, should a student read into an interview ending earlier than it was supposed to? No, no, can't make no. any meaning from that. It just ended early. No. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot there. Are, you know, we would have occasionally, students who would call us after the interview and say, Oh, I interviewer hated me. It was awful. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know what I, you know, it was just terrible. Um, you know, and go on and on and on about it. And I go back to the interview results and the interviewer loved them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we thought they were great. Yeah. So you never know. The, these you are the same, these are the same that. students that walk out of a test going, Oh, I failed it. I, I did horrible. It, yeah. Oh, I got a 96. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when are we going to learn? We're horrible at judging ourselves. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. That's and, exactly right. and then for, for someone with a speech impediment or a stutter, anything like that, um, is there potentially something that they can do to address that maybe at the beginning of the interviewer, maybe it's exacerbated by the stress? Um, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think often, uh, not always, but sometimes students will have covered that in their, in their personal statement mm-hmm. or in a, in a uh, optional essay of some sort or a secondary essay uh, about adversity or something to that effect. So the interviewer may be aware before you walk in the room uh, that there is an issue. Um, uh, but I, I would say for your own, um, you know, it would not be unreasonable to just address it at the very beginning, say, you know, uh, sometimes my speech impediment or my stuttering makes people uncomfortable. I certainly don't want you to feel that way. I'll do my best to, uh, to communicate with you. Uh, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to our, our time together. Yeah. That's super professional right off the bat. I'm yeah, like, all right, this, this, this person is self-aware. They understand who they are, what their yep. potential limitations may be, uh, yeah. in a, in a conversation with someone. I think, I think that's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Interviewing. One of the, one of the things that I see all the time are students who over prepare for an interview. Yeah. Yeah. 
and they come in and you say, tell me why you want to be a doctor. And you can just see them like close their eyes and read from the script. I have yeah. known since I was 13 years old that I want to be a, <clears throat> oh crap, where was I? Uh, that yeah. I was 13 year olds. <laughs> right. And, and yeah. it, just the other day I was doing a mock interview with a student and she completely froze and, and you could tell she was like, where was I? Where was I? Where was I? And then she picked back up and yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it, it sounds rehearsed. It sounds uh, fake. Yep. And, uh, I think it's good to have, I would, I would strongly, uh, urge students not to write out their responses to yeah. questions like that. That just leads to, um, you know, the, the thought of trying to memorize it or trying to remember, uh, in, in an outline form, kind of what you did, you know, it's fine to write down some notes mm -hmm. about some heavy topics or whatever, but generally what the interview is really trying to do more than anything is see, can you communicate with me? Can mm -hmm. we establish rapport? Uh, the average doctor visit these days is somewhere between 10 and 13 minutes, I think. The average, the average, uh, you know, uh, interaction with a doctor. So you're, they, these medical schools are giving you triple that yep. to establish rapport with the interviewer, and that's really what they're looking for. Can you communicate? Can we talk? Can can we connect as human beings? Uh, they want to see if you if you have some qualities that are important, not just for medical school, but as a physician. Yeah, thousand percent. I always tell students when they they talk about preparing and how prepared. I'm like, if you were going out, I always, I always fall back to treat it like real life. If you were going out to have dinner pre COVID, uh, with, with friends, would you stand outside the door and go, okay, I know they're probably going to ask me this. Here's what I want to say about it. They may ask me this question. I, I need to really make sure I understand what I'm going to tell them. No, you would just yeah. go in and you would just talk and have a Chit conversation. Yeah. yeah. You would just do that and yeah. trust yourself. And just a plug for you, uh, that Apply magazine that you held up, there is an excellent interview uh, article in that in that magazine about that very thing, mm -hmm. uh, about sitting down at a, at a restaurant and having a, having a chat. So yeah. uh, I'd encourage them to, to look that over. As <laughs> I use, well as I use the same story all the time. Of course, of well, course. As well as your book, which I will, again, <laughs> hold up. Oh, Here it's a beautiful it book. Yeah. I'm starting to get emails and questions about my fourth book that is, uh, I've been talking about for years or at least a year and it's still not out yet, but, uh, yeah, thanks COVID. Um, yeah. <laughs> when it comes time to, um, to, to picking a medical school, if, if a student is lucky enough to have multiple options, what are some mistakes for, for potential students who, who are picking the wrong school? What, what they're thinking potentially is where they're thinking is wrong potentially. Well, I think often it's what is what what's the reputation of the school? What's the ranking of the school mm -hmm. in the U.S. News and World Report? And they yeah. somehow think that that going to that medical school because of its ranking or because of its reputation is going to mean that they're going to get a better residency uh, program, which is really not true at all. Not true at all. Uh, yeah. And, and, I, you have know, you ever dug into the the U.S. News? Uh, Oh yeah, it's a report and and the uh, yeah. the actual methodology behind oh, their rankings. It's so complicated. <laughs> I, I wrote an article on it. It's it's almost all subjective crap. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. It's anyway. not it's not helpful. And so I think that's a big mistake that students often use, both in terms of selecting where they're going to apply 
and then also selecting where they want to go if they have multiple offers. Yeah. That you know they what I think is most important is fit. You need to go somewhere because ultimately you're going to do better in an institution and in a city where you fit, where you feel comfortable. And uh, that's, I think that's a crucial element that a lot of students miss. Now, there are students who will use uh, the financial aid package that's offered by the school, and it makes total sense to me yep. uh, that that should be a part of uh, uh, your consideration yeah. in, in terms of where you go to medical school. But I, I really cannot emphasize enough the importance of fit, of personal fit in the institution and feeling good about it. How did you feel when you went there for your interview? Did it feel good to you? How did you like the city and the surrounding area? Yeah. How did you like um, the students? And did you like what they said about their school? And did you like what um, the uh, faculty, when you were interviewing and stuff, had yep. to say about the school? Uh, absolutely. And I think often you'll be surprised. Yeah. You'll go to a school where you had it sort of down the list, and you'll go there, and you'll find that you fell in love with it. Yep. And you and you end up, you know, having that as your as your really top choice. So I think yep. being open to that kind of um, that kind of uh, objectivity is, I think, really important. Yeah, I worked with a student a year or two ago, and phenomenal student. She was a career changer. Amazing, amazing path. Uh, great stats. Interviewed at Harvard, Vandy, WashU, GW, like all of the top notch schools. And, and she talked about Harvard. She's like, I, I really had high hopes for Harvard. I, I really, uh, obviously the reputation of the school. Um, and I really thought I wanted to go there, but she went and she said, it just like, you hear rumors of like the pretentiousness and, and just that Harvard knows that they're Harvard. So they don't have to do try very hard. And, and she got that vibe. And that's not to say every student's going to get that vibe, but she got that vibe. And she, she ended up choosing another school, uh, even yeah. with an acceptance to Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about, um, really from a, a conduct standpoint, something that comes up a lot, uh, is, are, are red flags, whether it's, an arrest record, whether it's an institutional action for underage drinking, drinking on campus, et cetera, cheating, plagiarism, that kind of stuff. From an admissions committee standpoint, as again, as the former, for, for people tuning right. in later, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, is that an automatic, like, I just, I, I don't want to deal with it? Or do you dig in to see what it is and what happened and, and potentially how the student grew from that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the the medical schools really are looking for how you talk about that event, whether it's an institutional action or whether it's arrest or, or, or some sort of criminal record. Um, it's going to be, it, 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 they're going to want to know not only what the situation was, but they want to know what did you learn from that? Why are you a better person now than you were when you experienced that? So it's not an automatic no. Um, I've seen applicants who had, you know, a fairly substantial criminal um, event in their life, more than underage drinking or something like yeah. that. But they were able to overcome that because they had really experienced some things 
And they were able to talk about it in such a way that gave light to that they were a much more mature person now, having gone through that and learned from it than they were previously. And so I, I don't think that that's true. Now, having said that, I think that there are situations, particularly with drug abuse and drinking, that they're going to want to know when was this event. Mm. So if it's I'm a freshman and I get caught with weed in my dorm room uh, or I get a DUI. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to this was last week. Yeah. Uh, or it was gonna, the second time. <laughs> yeah. Or the, yeah, exactly. Or the second time. And so I think that uh, their medical schools now, what is a black, a complete black ball is if you don't indicate it on your application and they find out later through yeah. a criminal background check, then if you didn't indicate it in That's your application, worse. they can not only withdraw a offer from you, they can kick you out of school if you've already started. Yeah. So this, this is really bad if you, if you don't. That's why I always say err on the side of disclosure Yep. Even because we've had situations where, well, my attorney told me blah, 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 blah. And I don't care what your attorney told you. Disclose it and and be up front with it. And because, well, he said that it was expunged from my record. Yeah, mm. maybe maybe he didn't file the yeah. right paperwork. Maybe. I mean, there could be a lot <laughs> yeah. of stuff going on that you don't know about. Yeah. And, and I've actually had uh, my uncle-in-law, uh, my wife's uncle is a lawyer and does a lot of credentialing issues for similar things for, for medical professionals. And so I've had him on the pre-med years mm -hmm. podcast twice now. And one just recently talking all about if you've been arrested, are, do you say yes? Do you say no? And really working through what is the question asking and really thinking through that. Um, yeah. And so if yeah. you have more questions about that, I, I saw some questions about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go check out those episodes with yeah, uh, Larry. Um, Uncle Larry, as, as we call him. <laughs> um, so it's it's good to know, right? I, I think the general sense uh, from the pre-med community is that the admissions committees only care about stats. That's what it gets perpetuated on SDN, uh, on Reddit sometimes, Reddit a little bit better than SDN, um, about stats, 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 and, oh, you have a red flag, you're done, you're, you're, you're not going to get in. But, but everything that you have talked about, everything that I hear from talking to other admissions committee members, deans and directors of admissions, is that no this this quote unquote whole holistic philosophy is true right there has to be some barrier of entry from a, a, a stats standpoint but beyond that and I always say you have to be quote unquote good enough to get past that then the sky's the limit in terms of your story and, and being being viewed as an applicant absolutely uh, I mean I think that it's difficult to say that stats are not important. They are important. Uh, they're not everything. And I think it's much more about what you're going to be talking about and why things happen and what you learned from them and your ability to, to communicate that, as you said, to admissions committee members. That's, that's heavy stuff right there. And I, mm -hmm. I think that, that that is the differentiation between a, an excellent applicant and a mediocre applicant. Is, uh, is an application that seems to get it and really seems to dive deeply into 
their own psyche, their own sort of self-appraisal, and really put that out there and show they, they, they understand who they are and what they've done and what meaning it all has. So, yeah. I, and, you know, obviously that's combined with the numbers and, and everything is, is, is looked at all together in, in the mix of things. Yeah. But those, those can't be underestimated in terms of how powerful they can be. Yeah. So Suzanne is asking here and Suzanne, if I, if I'm calling you up by name and I shouldn't be, let me know. Um, after I did it twice, uh, smile, smile and pre-med is asking here what defines a what defines good enough for an MCAT score? And, and let me just give a little context because I, I think she is one of these students who has a phenomenal story. Um, I, I, I know, I think she's public about some of it. She's a Syrian refugee coming, coming to this country, needing to learn English, uh, leading to needing to um, uh, acclimate to our culture and to this whole new world. And, and she's struggling, like many uh, immigrants do, she's struggling with the MCAT. Yeah. What, from, from your position, probably at TMDSAS, what kind of conversations potentially are you familiar with without calling out um, any specific schools with what that good enough line is? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and this happens a lot. And what what I've seen so often is an applicant who is a immigrant to the United States, perhaps in middle school or high even high school, mm-hmm. and uh, they knew nothing about English, knew nothing about the 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 United States. They they were tasked with learning a new language, a new culture. And, and they did exceedingly well in high school. They got into a great uh, university, and they did excellent in the coursework. Yep. So they have great GPA, and they struggle on the MCAT. Yep. And, uh, and, and their, their, their score is, is, uh, is pushed down because of the language barrier. And what they can do in the classroom in, in gutting it out in a day-to-day way, they can't seem to do on – on an, on an exam like that where timing is essential. Yeah. And, uh, and so what Ti- I timing say, and timing and a little bit more context and interpretation correct. and, uh, and reasoning of the English right. language and what right. is being asked of you versus a little bit more straightforward. What's the question? Right. Here's the answer on, right. on, a, on a school that's test. Right. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so I think that, Medical school admissions committees look at that, uh, and they 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 it, it depends on the. In my experience, it depends on what the MCAT score is. Yeah, and uh, if it you know if we and particularly um, if if a student gets you know below a five hundred, uh, this is not good. Yeah. Even if they have a great MCAT score, uh, a great GPA and stuff, anything below a five hundred. Uh, in that type of scenario is very concerning, I think, yeah. to admissions committees. Yeah. Um, How do you rationalize that with the AAMC data showing that African Americans as a whole score like a 497 on the MCAT? Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely. And, and I, you know, I think that there are significant issues that need to be tackled by the medical education community in the United States, mm. particularly with regard to the MCAT. And how it, um, you know, how how it goes forward and stuff. 
and and what it means in the in the application process and stuff. So I, I would, you know, I, I agree with that completely. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just saying that when um, when an at, when an admissions committee is looking at things like that, uh, that they're 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 also looking at the competition level yeah. in, in getting into the medical school. How do they justify giving somebody with a 499 MCAT? that has a 3.75 or 3.85 GPA, a place in the medical school class when there's somebody very similar yeah. in, in many, many ways yeah. that has a, a 510. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, and so there is this com- competition level of it all that is also part of the mix of things. Yeah. And the admissions committees have to be able to say and justify in their own minds, how, how do I justify letting in uh, you know, this, this applicant, as opposed to this one or these other 10, yeah. uh, who seem in many ways, very similar. So general rule of thumb shooting for that 500 as the quote unquote good enough. And, and, and I've seen students 496s, 497s get in, oh, sure. um, and that happens. They had an amazing story themselves. Um, what do you recommend for that type of student who is in that boat in terms of reaching out and building that relationship to the school to say, hey, I'm out here. I'm an amazing fit to your school because of X, Y, Z. And my MCAT score is likely never going to be quote unquote good enough for your yeah. school. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a limited amount you can do, uh, frankly. Uh, in that situation, you read, you, and, and I think that was your question. What, what does an applicant do yeah. in, that, in that situation? And, and I think, you know, you, you submit your application, you craft it in the best way you can. You craft your secondary for that school uh, as best you can with a lot of input from your advisor or from friends or, or other mentors that will help you in terms of uh, making it uh, speak to what you want it to speak to. And, uh, and then you have to kind of let it, let it, let it run. Yeah. 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 I, I'm a big fan of advocating for yourself. I had a student last year, two years ago. Um, she was one of those applicants, uh, good, uh, good stats. So it was a kind of a career change coming from being a military spouse, um, and struggled with the MCAT, I think 499 MCAT, just, just right below the cutoff. And uh, there was a new school in her, her town, and she had run into the, the dean of admissions there a couple times, uh, just out in the community at different events and things. And I told her at, at some point later on in the cycle, I think it was, it was January, February, I said, send an email. What's the worst that's going to happen, right? They, they tell you no, which is basically what they're telling you already. Um, and so she, she crafted a, a very short, uh, succinct email that says, I, I've enjoyed bumping into you and here's who I am and here's why I think potentially uh, I'm, I've not received an interview. Um, and she got an interview invite the next day. So, nice, um, nice. it, 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 
it doesn't hurt. hurt. It doesn't hurt. I, obviously, there are appropriate ways to do that. There are right. appropriate times to do that. Um, I'm not saying every, every pre-med should go inundate the, the admissions offices with emails saying, pick me, pick me, um, right. because that, that'll right. just backfire. But yeah, um, yeah it's hard. Um, and, and we're not saying, right, the, the student asking here, 500, is 500 really good enough, especially for MD, if applicant is not a URM, right? We're not saying, oh, you, you're going to get into medical school with a 500. We're saying usually for the way that most medical schools work is they'll have some sort of a filter, right, uh, as they're um, – uh, filtering out applications, uh, what I call the digital shredders, and the the they just won't see those those applications, um, right. and then they uh, typically will rank and sort and just start at the top and go, you're invited, you're invited, you're invited, you're invited, and until they run out of spots, <laughs> and then right. and and then they'll they'll figure it out from there. So yeah. it's it's yeah. definitely hard uh, with that MCAT being uh, so hard, um, but. I, that question, right? The the MD, especially for MD, I, I think pre meds are are too stuck on. I want to be an MD versus I want to be a physician, whether that's yes. MD or DO, and and yeah, being on this absolutely. side of it, right? I'm an MD. Um, there's there's zero difference, and yes, there are yeah. some residency programs out there. They're still snooty and and stuck up to MD only. You're going to run into that, but big picture, you're going to be you're going to be okay. So. Um, any other big mistakes that you've seen along the path? Well, it, it, I, yes. And, and <laughs> let me think of how to say this in a very, um, <laughs> kind, light, kind, <laughs> sensitive way. And, and that is, there is this frenzy that, pre-meds get into when they spend all their time with other pre-meds. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> yeah. And they, they get themselves so worked up yep. and they're talking about, well, what did you do this? And what did you do that? And, and have you taken the MCAT yet? And I heard that this happened and I heard that that happened and I heard she got <laughs> this and he got that. And, and it, it is awful. You need to have friends who care nothing about medical school, yep. wouldn't know an MCAT from anything else in the world, who are just people. And you need to have friends that are like that, yeah. that you can interact with and not constantly be talking about med school application and MCAT and biochemistry and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I get, and this is why I caution substantial caution to students about the SDN forums because this is what kind of frenzy students get in when they get into those forums yeah. and then they they it just is it multiplies and it it, it can produce so much stress and anxiety yeah. that you you and I've just seen it over and over and over and over again and so I would really um caution students about the SDN forums and also, um, you know, encourage them to seek out friends that really are going to be um, good to just be around and not. And, and I think even making rules that when you're with your other uh, pre-med friends, when you go out to a movie or when you yeah. go to eat in the non-COVID days or, or, or when you get together uh, for for studying or whatever, say the rule is we're not going to talk about the MCAT. Yeah, 
<clears throat> the rule is we're not going to talk about <laughs> the first F- rule of fight club. <laughs> <clears throat> right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's so important to be able to stick to those rules and say, because it just builds and builds and builds. It can be devastating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think that's great advice. And, and I, I heard a podcast this was many years ago now, and I could never find it again after I listened to it the first time. But, but, I, I picture these forms to be like this podcast was describing um, uh, chicken growers back in the day. They were like, okay, I'm going to grow the biggest, baddest, meanest chickens because they have a ton of meat on them and they're delicious uh, and whatever else. And so all, they got all these big, bad, like, um, type A chickens all together. And they're like, this is going to be amazing. We're going to have the best meat. We're going to sell it for so much. And then they put them all in the chicken coop and they go back and all the chickens pecked each other to death <laughs> because they're all just like, I'm the biggest, I'm the baddest. Right. And that's what I picture these forms. Like, yeah. um, everyone just trying to outdo everyone else. That's, yeah. that's the typical pre-med culture, which is why I kind of, coined the term or I don't know where it came from. I, I think I, I coined it the, the closet pre-med to yeah. where they're on campus. They're a pre-med student, but they don't tell anyone they're a pre-med yeah. student and they yeah. go and live their, their life. Yeah. So Absolutely. with that said, we have uh, a session to give away with you. Um, yep. Yep. We're going to have a session here, uh, not here. Uh, we're going to give away a session with Dr. Wright. Um, we're going to have you pick a number between one and a hundred and you can enter once type your number. I have the number in my head. It's one of my favorite numbers. I always wear it, uh, on my, my baseball Jersey. Um, I, I, I have two numbers on my Jersey, but there's always one that, that uh, I go to. So, uh, pick a number between one and a hundred type it, leave it in the comments. The, if nobody, uh, picks it on the nose, then we'll get closest to without going over. <laughs> oh my God, not again. Uh, what, what is wrong, Kylie? Oh, Kylie. Oh, that's hilarious. Kylie was my favorite. Not anymore. Uh, got some good guesses, some pretty close, some not so close. Um, but, uh, Dr. Wright, uh, talk about MAPT for a second as I'm watching yeah. these numbers fly by. Yeah, MAPT sure. is now live at MAPT.com. Yeah. Talk about it for yeah. a second. Oh, sure. So MAPT is uh, what, what a fantastic tool for pre-meds. Uh, whether you're a freshman just starting the process or whether you're embarking on your junior year and you're you know really uh, scoping things out, MAPT is there to – has really been built – to help you um, put all of it together. And, but not only that, to help you understand what it all looks like in, 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 and to prepare you for uh, uh, getting into the application itself. Uh, it's going to uh, be a, a tool not only for helping you create um, all the details that need to be there, but it's going to give you um, – it's going to give you in, uh, helpful uh, information about where, where your GPA is, for example. If your GPA is, is, uh, goes down one semester, we're going to encourage you through MAPT to, uh, to, to keep the trend going. Uh, it's, it's sort of like I think about some of these apps 
uh, that you use for exercise mm-hmm. and they're, they're your cheerleaders and you, you know, you're running on the treadmill Great analogy. and they're saying, yeah. you can do this, you can do this. And, yep. and, uh, the, the app, uh, also helps you track your calories that you burn and, uh, the amount of exercise you've done. And I think that for the pre-med world, this is very similar to what mapped is. Yep. It's really going to be a great tool for students to be able to use. Yeah. Love that analogy. All right. Nobody's guessed it. So I'm going to go back up to the top and uh, so no new submissions. And the closest one was actually uh, that one was there. And there was one more super close one. Uh, so the, the, the closest one was actually the first one. <laughs> My number was 35 and the first guess was 32. There was another 32 later on, but first one gets it. So Rosie uh, Odyssey, or uh, if that's how you say that, um, give me a, a direct message and we'll set you up with Dr. Wright. Never wrong. Thank you so much for hanging out with me all oh, day today course. on Ask Dean. So Am I ready? Instagram live friends go check out mapped at mapped.com. Have a wonderful night and we'll see you soon. Adios. All right. So there you have it. Great conversation with Dr. Wright all about common pre-med mistakes. As I mentioned earlier, please go check out mapped at mapped.com. M a P P D.com. Now you're saying what is mapped mapped is, is the, will be the premier technology platform to really help guide pre-med students on their journey. Right now is just the foundation of what we are building. If you go and sign up now, you can enter your courses, you can enter your activities, you can start to enter diary entries for your activities, reflections on each day. And, and have the software kind of track everything you're doing. And that's there's nothing really super special about that stuff. You can do that in a spreadsheet, and I understand that. But we had, as I'm recording this, we had an amazing development team meeting this morning and really laid out the next several months on features that are coming to Mapped. And we're starting off uh, with some smaller things, some some tweaks here and there, and then really getting into the nitty-gritty the magic sauce of, of really giving students feedback. So if you enter your courses, we can give you feedback on potential next steps. You enter your practice MCAT scores or your real MCAT score, the software will be able to give you feedback on what to do next. So lots of stuff coming in the next several months. We have it all planned out, ready to rock. So hopefully you will join us over at mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. I hope you have a great week. Don't forget to subscribe so you get this podcast every week on your device. Don't just listen to this in the browser of, of your uh, desktop or laptop. Really subscribe on a mobile device, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Next week, I have an amazing guest, Dr. Haval Kelly, a former refugee dishwasher turned cardiologist. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.